0: Hallelujah. Luke chapter 22 verses 24 through 38. Before we start reading this scripture and we always read through the scripture to have that in us and to understand it, I want to just remind you of what we talked about or what we considered in the previous week. We talked about the Lord's Supper and we were looking at how Jesus institutes this ordinance, this sacrament, this this practice. And he says to the The disciples, this is what I want you to do, this is my body, this is my blood, and we went through what does that mean, how should we understand that, what is the implication for us, and we looked at all of those things, and it's just glorious, right, it's beautiful, it's just, I mean, we read all of this, we understand, we say, oh, thank you, God, that you've given us this, that you've blessed us in this way, that you have provided of yourself and you poured out your blood and your body was broken for us and you took our sins and our iniquities upon you and we worship you. And you know what happened with the disciples when they heard all that and they experienced it firsthand right there with Jesus? You know what happened right after that? Luke chapter 22, verse 24 says, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be greatest. They've just heard from Jesus. They've just heard Jesus say, Oh, this is my body, this is my blood, this is what I'm doing for you. What do they do? They start arguing about who is greater. Who's the greatest? Well, can you imagine that? Peter saying to John, I'm greater than you. I'm in fact I'm the greatest. And John saying, No, no, no. I'm the greatest. James jumping in. No, not you, me. It seems at this point that Judas Iscariot has left the room. Otherwise, I don't know if he would have gotten into this argument too, but Matthew and, you know, they're they're all arguing. They're arguing as to who is the greatest. Now, this is not the first time that the disciples were arguing like this. There are other instances where the Word tells us they argued about who would be great, what position they would have, James and John, their mother comes to Jesus and says, let my sons sit with you. You know, when you come in glory, let them sit on your right and your left. I mean, they are, I, it baffles the mind, but don't, don't we do the same thing? Isn't this something that we can actually relate to? That in the moments of our greatest revelation, when Jesus is speaking truth and life to us, we are focused on ourselves. Our positions, our glory, our gain, our fame. And we say, who will be the greatest? And Jesus does something so amazing. Now, as I go into this next section, I want to bring before you, I I, I mentioned to you, when you read the gospel, try to read with the harmony of the gospels, meaning looking at all four gospels, because you will find that there are sections in one gospel that say it in a certain way, that are amplified, that are expanded in another gospel, or that you will find are explained in another gospel, right? And and Luke tends to be very much where he sort of gets to the bottom line. He'll sort of make a statement right at the bottom there. And there may be some context before that. There may be something that has happened right before that, that Luke doesn't even state. But John may, or Matthew may, or Mark may, so I encourage you, when you read the Gospels, read it with a harmony of the Gospels. Read it with a parallel you know, a parallel of the Gospels to see what do the other Gospels say about this same incident. And if you look at this incident that is taking place here, I want to intersperse into our reading of Luke chapter 22. We read verse 24. But as I'm reading through this, I'm going to intersperse. I'm going to add in some other scriptures. Right? I'll mention those scriptures. So you, you don't have to turn there. But it, it just flows with the whole narrative, with the story. okay? So a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Now, John chapter 13, verses 3 to 5, and verses 12 through 17. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord or master, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no slave is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's continue in Luke chapter 22, verse 25 onwards. Jesus said to them, so remember, Jesus has just done this, washed their feet, done all that. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, jumping over to John chapter 13, verses 33 through 38. My children, this is Jesus continuing to speak to the disciples. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, or the Jewish leaders, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but will follow Later, Jesus is going to his death. That's what he's referring to. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Move over to Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 33. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter is still boasting. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I, even if everybody falls away, I will not. Now we return to Luke chapter 22, picking it up in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written as, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. The reference to these two swords and this last portion of what Jesus is saying, it's not a call to armed rebellion. He's not telling them, get ready, get your swords, and we're going to fight the, 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 the soldiers that come or the people that are going to come to arrest. He's not saying that at all. In fact, the best reading of that portion would be to say, okay, that's enough of that. You know, Two swords is not going to do anything. I'm not telling you to be ready for armed conflict. I'm telling you to be prepared that there's all sorts of things coming. That seems to be the, the focus of what Jesus is saying. But I want to return to all of the things. So I trust you've followed as we have read through this narrative. Disciples are arguing, who's the greatest? Jesus washes their feet then he speaks to them and talks to them of what they must do to humble themselves and to love one another. Peter is still boasting. Oh, I, you know, I would never do anything like that, Lord. And Jesus says, you will deny me. So Some of you some of you here uh, are old enough to remember Muhammad Ali, heavyweight boxing champion of the world. And he would declare, I am the greatest. If you know about it, if you remember that, and you're all over the world, people still know about Muhammad Ali. But that claim to greatness is found in every arena of life. Greatest athlete, greatest politician, greatest singer, greatest writer, greatest dancer, author, teacher, student, speaker. And then, you know, and we don't want just to be great. We want to be the greatest. And now, we're not just satisfied with being the greatest, even, for a season. The current claim is that the greatest of all time, goat. We are the goat. The greatest of all time. So Tom Brady is the goat goat. In football. LeBron James is the goat in basketball. Sachin Tendulkar is the goat in cricket. Ken Jennings is the goat in jeopardy. We don't want to be just greater than the rest of the folks in our generation. No, we want to be the greatest of every generation. How countercultural. That when Jesus says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you, what he is referring to is to serve others like a slave serves a master. How utterly countercultural! Now, let me deal with this word, slave. And it is the word slave that Jesus uses, doulos in Greek. There are other words for servant. There are other words that he could have used, but he's using the word slave. And slavery is referred to throughout the Bible, so we have to deal with it. The Bible can never be used to justify subjugating another person or to support racial discrimination, or to be used as proof text that one people group are somehow inferior to another because of a curse. The Bible can never be used for that, no matter what misinterpretation or misapplication you may hear. The Bible is not justifying race-based enslavement. It is not emphasizing or speaking or justifying enforced obedience. It is not saying loss of freedom or absolute and abusive subservience. But here's the difficult truth we have, to, we have to acknowledge. Although the Bible does not condone physical slavery, it does not directly condemn it. Instead, in both the Old and the New Testaments, the Bible presents a radically different definition of the relationship between slaves and masters than what was prevalent in the ancient Near East or the Greek, Persian, and Roman empires. In the Old Testament, God tells the children of Israel to periodically set their slaves free. In the New Testament, masters are told not to threaten their slaves, but to treat slaves With sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, since you know that he, Christ, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. That's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. In the book of Philemon, Paul writes to Philemon, on behalf of Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus, that Philemon should receive Onesimus back as a dear brother in the Lord. So the Bible is using the widely known practice of slavery, of physical slavery, to make a point about spiritual slavery. To an audience at that time, living with slavery rampant in their midst, to an audience at that time that would have immediately understood what a slave entails, what being a slave entails, the Bible is extensively referring to us as slaves of Christ. And the Bible is referring to us in this way to emphasize exclusive ownership of our lives to one master, God. And it's emphasizing that in this case, the Lord, curios, the word curios, curios, the Lord is. Our master, how can you serve two masters? That whole reference that we know about, that actually says, how can one slave serve two masters? Either you will love one and hate the other, or you will hate one, you know. That's the reference. It is the exclusive ownership. It is total availability to serve the master. And it is complete dependence on the master. These are the concepts that are actually being referred to, that are being taken out of this practice of physical slavery that the Bible refers to in terms of spiritual slavery. There's a whole lot more that can be said about this topic, but I want to just at least make this point that when we look at this word slave in the Bible, what makes us uncomfortable today, and it it, and it should. There's been an abuse of this. There's been a misunderstanding, misapplication. But in every single instance of it, rather than shirking from the word, we've got to say, what is the Bible telling us? Why is it using this word? What is it trying to emphasize? In almost all the references in our modern English Bibles where you find the word "bond servant," and many times even the word servant, it's actually the Greek word doulos, slave. Notice how the leaders of the church introduce themselves. And and by the way, so this is each of the times that I read this, in your translations, it may not say the word slave, but that's actually the word doulos in Greek. In 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Romans 1.1, Paul. A slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. And here's how Jesus refers to us in regard to the end times. We were talking about this yesterday in our Q&A session. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves. The things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his slave, John. And notice how our spiritual condition is described in Romans chapter 6 verses 20 to 22. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? the things of the flesh, the things of this world. For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal Bible says you were slaves to sin. You don't have to go far to understand what that means. You were slaves to sin, but now you're slaves of Christ. And we are called now to be willing and obedient slaves of Christ. Again, there's a complete difference between the Lord God as our master as our curious as opposed to anything that the world will show you, or the example, or the things that you may observe. But what kind of slaves are we talking about? Let's just look at the very example of Jesus. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You can turn there if you'd like. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what does all this have to do with greatness and wanting to be the greatest? Well, if you want to lead, first learn to serve. Although he was the Lord, Jesus says, you have rightly called me Lord. Master, you have rightly called me teacher. Although he was the Lord and the teacher, he served the disciples. He did not lord his position and authority over them. He washed and wiped their feet, an act that the servant in the house or the slave in the house would have probably done. Apparently that has not that had not been done, And Jesus takes that act, uses that to show how he's serving. He says, if I have washed your feet, you should do the same. If I have served you, you should do the same. You want to lead? You want to be great? You want to be lifted up? You want to be exalted? You want position? You want power? First learn to serve capacity that the Lord calls you to serve maybe in the home maybe in the workplace maybe in the church maybe with a loved one, family member who who is opposed to you in every single way maybe with a stranger maybe with a neighbor or some casual acquaintance, find out Lord what do I need to do to serve How do I serve? And when you do that, when you start to serve without paying attention to when you will lead, the Bible is saying of Jesus, as he serves, as he humbles himself, as he puts aside the very things that he could lay claim to, God exalts him. You want to lead? First, learn to serve. And that leads to this next point. If you want to be great, first, be humble. Peter became a leader in the church. But at this point in time, even after spending all this time with Jesus, even after seeing what Jesus was doing, even after hearing all these things that Jesus was saying, even after, at least in part, and even half, You know, he had the Holy Spirit working in him. God himself reveals that Jesus is the Messiah. When Peter says, Oh, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, You know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. I mean, Peter is having the work of God in his life. But what does he do? He joins right in with all of these arguments with the disciples to say, No, I'm greater than all of you. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. And it took a humbling. It took Jesus saying to him, you think you're going to stand? Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. You think you're strong? You think that you will just be able to follow me to death? And yeah, one day you are going to be murdered for my sake. But you think you can just do all that just like that in your strength and in your boasting, in your pride? before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. You would think at least at that time, Peter would go, really? He says, no, never, never. What warnings is the Lord giving us? If you continue in this path, it's heading for destruction. If you seek yourself gain, you won't gain yourself and you won't gain the kingdom of God. What is he saying to us that we have to pay attention to and humble ourselves and say, no, Lord, it's not, I, I can't do it. It's not up to me. I, I, I'm I not able to maintain this. Peter had the right idea when he was sinking in the water. He didn't try to swim first. He called out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, save me. But that needs to be our dependence. Dependence on our master. That means that mindset to say, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I, I don't have the means of doing this. I cannot do this because I have to be fully obedient to you and not doing my own thing. And I am your slave. I will do what you tell me to do. If you want to be great, first, be humble. And then Jesus says to Peter, After, after you return, After you return, strengthen your brothers. You know how you will be great with your brothers? When you serve them. You think you're great because of who you are, what you know, or what you do? No. There's a humbling coming. And when that humbling comes, after you return, serve them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Help them. So if you want to lead, first learn to serve. If you want to be great, first be humble. But if you want to be the greatest, who is the greatest? If you want to be the greatest, first, love one another. When we love one another, we seek the other person's well-being. We're saying, I prefer this person over myself. I want to see them succeed even if I don't succeed, or even if it hurts me. Even if it costs me something, I want to see them succeed. I want to see them Growing in the Lord. I want to serve them. Without any expectation of praise or thanksgiving. Without any remuneration. Nothing. They're not paying me. They're not doing something for me. I'm not seeking a position. I'm not seeking a platform. I'm not seeking any kind of return. I'm just going to serve them. I'm going to seek their good. I'm going to seek their well-being. I'm going to serve them without complaining. How many times have you served? Because you knew that the Lord was telling you to serve. And at the end of it, you said, yeah, it was good. But, but, all those people. Right? How many times do we serve without complaining? We encourage and strengthen and love because we want to see others being built up as disciples of Christ. Our mission in this church is to love God and to love others to make disciples. When we seek other people's good and they in turn are seeking our good, guess what? All of us together are lifted up, advance, grow. We are made disciples that are stronger, that are, that are you know, able to press into the Lord. We go from glory to glory. We start to gain in strength. We are encouraged in our faith. We challenge one another. We sharpen one another. Oh, the whole church gets lifted up. And guess what happens? Collectively, we are the greatest. There is no individualism there. There is no selfishness. There is no selfish gain. But because we sought each other's good, we all benefit. You know, the world tells you that it's a win-lose proposition. If you win, I lose. Therefore, I'm going to make sure you lose so that I win. That's what the world says. That's how the world's philosophy is. But Jesus says, you humble yourself. You do everything that is necessary to serve somebody else. You give your life. You, you pour out. You do whatever you need to, to help the other person do better. And guess what? It will be a win-win. Because when you do that, when you are led of the Lord in that way, when you experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, as you serve and you love and you give, and in the other person as they receive, guess what? We'll all collectively be the greatest because we will be in the Lord, joined to him. The greatest reward that we can have, the greatest truth that we can have, the greatest life that we can have, the greatest anything, is that we would be joined to the Lord Jesus, that we would experience his presence here in this world, and that we would be joined with him for eternity. Nothing else compares. Not all the money in the world. Not the greatest title or position. Not being president. Not being CEO. None of this. Not being the greatest disciple. None of it. None of it compares to having what we would have in Christ Jesus. That we would be joined with him now. Experience the fullness of life. The abundant life that he has ordained for us now and then to be with him for eternity, to experience eternal life with our loving Heavenly Father, our Master and Lord, to give to him everything that is ours. Like I said, there are lots of different things that can be said about this and continue to be said about it, but I trust that as you're hearing this word this morning, the truth of what I'm sharing and the truth of the word of God will be what, it, what you are receiving in your spirit. And I encourage you, go and read these things. Go and study this out. Don't just settle. Go and say, well, well, how should I understand this? How do I pursue this? Because what I'm challenging you to do this morning is to respond by affirming that you belong to Christ Jesus. Not just, you know, in a casual way. Not just saying, yeah, I belong to Jesus. And we can even sing the song. I belong to Jesus. But I belong to Jesus like a slave belongs to a master. Not the negative things of that, but ownership, exclusive ownership, dependence, the right for the master to say to me, do this and I would do it. I belong to Jesus in that way. Ooh. Do you? Do I? I belong to Jesus according to my convenience. I belong to Jesus according to my comfort. I belong to Jesus when I know that I'm getting something back. I belong to Jesus when it's convenient to say that. Or when others expect me to say it. But do I really belong to Jesus? No matter who's looking. No matter what's going on. No matter what the circumstances that I would say, I belong to Jesus. Like a slave belongs to a master. So we respond in this way. But we apply by loving and serving Jesus and loving and serving others. You can hear the word. You can even agree with the word. But if you don't find an opportunity to apply this word, what difference does it make? So I encourage you, I challenge you, I, I speak to you this morning to say, ask the Lord, Lord, how should I apply this word? How do I love you and serve you as a slave of Christ? And how do I love others and serve them like you did? Humbling yourself and you know, pouring out your things and doing 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 these things that we wouldn't even have expected. How do I do that? What should I do? This week, Lord, who do I reach out to? How do I do, how do I apply this word? How can I look to serve? Now, again, don't, don't think that I'm gearing up for a big activity in the church. Next week, we're going to have a service opportunity. We want everybody here. I'm not not doing that. I'm not saying that. But service opportunities will come. Things will be there. There will be calls to give. I mean, there will be calls to give of your time. All that will be there. Should you serve in that? Ask the Lord. But even before any of that, or in, in addition to any of that, I'm saying to you, seek the Lord. And say, Lord, how do I serve you? What should I do? When I reach out to somebody this week, how do I serve them? Not how do I check off on my list? I called three people. But how do I serve that person? How do I minister to their needs? How do I speak a word that benefits them according to their needs? How do I build them up? How do I do this, Lord, without any pride or self-seeking? So I want to apply your word in these ways. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Lord your word is uh, very powerful. Lord it is sometimes difficult and sometimes challenging and sometimes Lord puts us makes us uncomfortable but as we grapple with it as we Look to it as we are, try to understand what you're saying to us. I thank you, Lord, that your word to us this morning is that we are reminded that we are slaves of Christ. And Lord, particularly in the history of this country and of the all around the world, when there has been so much abuse, Father, I pray that in the midst of all of that, we would understand your heart. We would look to you as the loving master we would understand what you mean and how you instruct us when you say that we are to obey you there is nothing lord mean or harmful there's only for our good and so father we seek we seek to love you to serve you lord we seek to love and to serve others everybody Seek Lord to be blessed in you. Father, I thank you that you are the one that gives us true freedom. Freedom from the sin that so was so deeply entangling us, enslaving us. Freedom from all the burdens and the cares. Freedom from all that would afflict. Freedom from that. And now, Lord, you have called us to willingly, cheerfully, yield ourselves to you. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you don't call us to do this in a vacuum, in in the absence of what you would say. You showed us your very example, and you did this. So we look to Jesus. We follow Jesus. Lord, let this word just continue to work in our hearts. And through this week, help us, Lord, to pay attention to where you would would prompt us to serve someone else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.